You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. But you and I now are representatives of the kingdom on earth. One of the letters to the Corinthian church, Paul writes and he says, you are Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we are ambassadors for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the church, the church is the representation of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. The kingdom of God can seem like a mystery because we don't fully understand what Jesus meant by that. But we do have the Word of God to help guide us into a better understanding. Pastor Danny continues teaching on the kingdom of God in today's message. God's kingdom is living and active through the church and even people like you. How? As a child of God, you are to be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. This means spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to all that will hear. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 28, as he continues his message, The Kingdom of God. Last week, the Lord really focused my attention personally and in the teaching on two statements made by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 28. The first is the end of verse 23, beginning in the middle, I guess. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And the second in verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the two are connected, proclaiming, explaining uh, the kingdom and then the message of Jesus, because Jesus, he's the key to the kingdom. Now, little review from last week. Acts chapter one, verse three, Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Of God. I pray pretty much every day this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and this section I really love. Now say it with me one more time. Come on, everybody together. You ready? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we especially focused last week, uh, first of all, on what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And the kingdom of God is a place where God reigns supreme and Christ is king. Where God reigns supreme and Christ is king. Then we talked about where the kingdom of God is. Where is the kingdom of God? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. 
Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascending back up into heaven after 40 days, appearing to his disciples, speaking about the kingdom of God. And it says he went into heaven, and they were gazing, watching him go into heaven. John, the apostle, Revelation 4, is caught up to heaven, and he sees a throne room, or a throne, and he sees uh, God seated on the throne. Chapter 5, he sees Jesus, the, the center of the throne. 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul testifies that he was, whether in the body or out of the body, he says, I don't know. But I was caught up, he says, to the third heaven. And he calls the third heaven. Here's what he says. I was caught up to paradise. Paradise. The thief on the cross that yielded to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, put his faith in Jesus. He said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Peter says that Jesus, after dying on the cross, his spirit, he went to Sheol, to the grave. He preached to the spirits in Sheol, in prison, in the grave. What did he preach? No doubt, victory. Who was there? Well, not just those in hell, the side of fire that Jesus talked about in Luke 16, but the other side of Sheol, called Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, where all the Old Testament saints went when they died. They couldn't go to the third heaven, to the kingdom of God, because the sacrifice sufficient to cover their sin and atone for their sin had not been made. That's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, okay? So they went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, because it's the faith of Abraham. Through your seed, God said to Abraham, singular Hebrew word, person, through your seed, Christ, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Jesus goes, and he goes, and he preaches victory, and then he leads from Abraham's bosom up to the third heaven, to the kingdom. He brings them all into the kingdom. Now to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in the third heaven where the kingdom of God is. Praise the Lord. We mentioned last week, didn't talk a lot about it, a little bit. We may come back to it because this won't be the last weekend on the kingdom. I I just got to go further on it. But there's a conflict because there's the kingdom of heaven and then there's the kingdom of darkness and they're in conflict with one another. We may talk more about that in days to come. The kingdom of God invaded the earth through Jesus. John the Baptist preached in preparation for Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is come near or at hand. Then Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near or is at hand. They accused Jesus of casting out demons by Beelzebub. He said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, then Satan's kingdom is divided and the kingdom divided will not stand. Now, Satan's kingdom will not stand ultimately. But he said, but if I cast out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. His healing ministry, his miracles, his casting out of demons, demonstrated, testified to his sovereignty over Satan and the kingdom of darkness. All sickness, all disease, demonic possession, etc., are a result of the kingdom and the power of darkness. And every now and then, God, through his servants here on earth, will demonstrate that God has sovereignty over the kingdom of darkness. Happened in the Old Testament at times, when the miracles, Daniel and the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Last week, Acts 28, the viper that came out of the fire and bit Paul and hung on to him. He shakes it off and everybody's looking, thinking he's going to die, but he suffered no ill effects because he's a child of the king. 
And that doesn't happen with everybody, but occasionally God will just give reminders of the power of his kingdom and the goodness of his kingdom. One day the kingdom of God is going to come to earth. Can't wait. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus is coming and he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign on the earth. The kingdom is coming. And then we mentioned Jesus is the key to the kingdom. He said to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom to the kingdom of heaven based on Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And upon this rock, he said, this declaration, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then one last one. We have the privilege of experiencing a taste of the kingdom here and now. Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 of that chapter encourages believers in this life, in this world, to do everything you can that leads to peace and to mutual edification, because that's what the kingdom's all about. Now, a little bit of a switch. The kingdom of God, where God reigns supreme and Christ is king, the third heaven. But you and I now are representatives of the kingdom on earth. One of the letters to the Corinthian church, Paul writes and he says, you are Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we are ambassadors for the King of kings and Lord of lords. So the church, the church is the representation of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Are you with me? Now go with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 13. Matthew Chapter 13, Colossians tells us to set our hearts on things above and our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. After the first missionary endeavor that Jesus sent his disciples on, they came back and they say, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, children of the king, but we're living presently here on earth, but this is not our home. And we are the representation, we are to be the representation of the kingdom of God on earth, the church. Matthew chapter 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. The location believed to be where this took place is on the lake of Gennesaret. We know it better as the Sea of Galilee. And the specific place they believe Jesus sat in this boat and now he began to teach the crowd. Today is called the Cove of the Parables because he told several parables from this cove. I know where it is and I hope you'll get to see it uh, perhaps with us if you go to Israel with us. It's about a mile southwest of Capernaum where Jesus made his ministry center. The land at the Cove of the Parables slopes down like a natural horseshoe-shaped amphitheater, which made it very acoustically um, desirable. But not just that. Added to the acoustic environment is the water that serves also as an acoustical aid. It's fascinating to me because Israeli scientists have tested the acoustics at the Cove of the Parables and found that Jesus would have been easily heard by this large crowd. It's almost like he had a sound system without an amplifier. And then he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. 
Note that. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. Some a hundred, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? So this is obviously a new teaching method by Jesus that he hasn't used before. And they want to know, why are you teaching now in parables? We'll come back to that. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. What he means by that is connected with the parable. You respond correctly to the truth of the parable. You seek more truth, God will give you more truth. You don't respond to the truth, you lose what truth you got. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes the very scripture that Paul the Apostle quoted in Acts 28 last week after Paul proved from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah, but some would not believe. And he quotes the same scripture that Jesus does here. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, and that's the message about Christ, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's the bird's. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. So there's a tremendous emotional response, but since they have no root, no depth, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. They get just so caught up and involved in the things of this life. Maybe they start making more money, which seems to be the the implication. And they start, you know, just getting bogged down in the kingdom of this world. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands. This is the one who produces a crop. Yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now back to the question. Why do you speak to the people in parables? Do you know that some commentators suggest that Jesus was doing it in parables because he didn't want his non-chosen ones to know what he was saying. He's hiding it from them. What some people suggest is what Isaiah means. Is that really the God you serve? That's not the God I serve. My Bible tells me that God is not willing that any should perish. My God wants everybody to know the truth and to be set free. That's the God of the Bible. Crazy to say, oh, he's just hiding it from the crowd because he knows their heart. And he's giving the meaning to the chosen ones. No, it's exactly the opposite. The word parable comes from two Greek words. And when you put them together, you know what I mean? To throw alongside. 
throw alongside. What does that mean? A parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And it's meant to take something in life and paint a picture and you go, oh yeah, I see it. I understand. So that you can make a decision based on the truth that is taught. Now I got to take you to seminary for a moment, even though I've never been to seminary. Because you need to understand, and we need to understand, a principle of hermeneutics, because beginning in verse 24 of chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus will tell a string of parables. We're about to go through all of them. Don't worry. And if we don't understand a principle of hermeneutics in reading these parables, we won't really get what God's trying to say. You say, what's a hermeneutic? Hermeneutics, big word, it means the theory and methodology of text interpretation. And a principle of hermeneutics called expositional constancy needs to be applied not only here, but in in studying scripture throughout, but especially here. It's the consistent use of symbolism in scripture. First parable, seed sown, seed. We're told later the seed is the word of God. And so when we see good seed in any other parable, anywhere else, good seed is the word of God. Okay. We'll later learn a field is the world. And so anytime you see a field, then the field, if we're going to be expositionally constant, the field means the world, the birds, they come and snatch away the word, snatch the the seed away. And so whenever you see birds anywhere else, especially in a parable, the birds represent evil. Are you with me? Test next week. This is valuable, very valuable to understand what God is saying. So here we go. Class, verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. While while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Go pull up the weeds? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. You may make a mistake. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then gather the wheat, bring it into my barn. Did you get it? Here's the lesson of that parable. In the kingdom of heaven here on earth, there's true grain and there are weeds. And ultimately, only God knows Who's who? One of the most fascinating things about Jesus praying all night and going and choosing his 12 apostles is that one of them, Judas Iscariot, was a devil from the beginning. That's what Jesus said. But nobody else, but he knew it. None of Judas's peers, none of the other 11 apostles had any clue, any suspicion, even on the night that Judas went out and betrayed Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. The other 11 thought he was going on an errand to help the poor, sent by Jesus. Nobody knew, and ultimately only God knows, those who are his. And in the church, there's true grain and there are weeds. And it just gave me a scary thought as I studied it. 
reminded of it in a fresh way. And I started thinking, I wonder if any of my associate pastors are unsaved. What about me? Here's the thing, and then we'll move on. While none of the other 11 apostles knew the truth about Judas, Judas knew. Judas knew. And he could have repented and he could have been saved. Judas knew. Could it be there's a Judas listening? He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Some teach that this parable means that despite the small beginning of Jesus and his disciples, he chose 12, and then they go out, and the 11 began to preach the kingdom, and then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 get saved, and then it's up to 5,000, and it just multiplies, and it's just this exponential growth of the kingdom. But class, expositional constancy. The birds in the first parable represent evil. So the birds that come and perch in the branches of the kingdom on earth, if I'm going to be consistent, has to be evil. Now, there's more than one application for this particular parable, but I'm going to give you just one and then we'll move on. And I know this one very well. Pastors on staff know it very well. Leaders in our church that have been around for a while, they know it very well. And it's this. There are those that look to come and take advantage of the shade of the kingdom of God on earth. They look to take advantage, but they're not born again. They don't know Jesus, but they come and they want things like shelter. They want money. They want help in life. They want counseling, but the counseling is just to help them have a better life, not to make them a disciple of Jesus. And they come and they perch in the branches and they look to take advantage, but they've never been born again. And that's just the way it is. Verse 33, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds or a large amount of flour till it worked all through the dough. Some say this one is akin to the previous one, that the kingdom, though starting very small, you know, and just like you put yeast into the dough and it just caused it to just expand and it just expanded. One of the books I read, and you read your head off because it's a whole set of volumes. My wife turned me on to it. But it's worth the work because it gives me, as a pastor and a teacher, historical background, geographical background, things like that. And I read in Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary on Matthew chapter 13 in preparation for this message. And I'll read you what I read in one section. I quote, Scripture uses leaven, yeast, almost exclusively as a negative metaphor, probably because fermentation implied disintegration and corruption. But Jesus seems to reverse the connotation here in this parable to symbolize the hidden permeation of the kingdom of heaven in this world. In spite of its small, inauspicious beginnings, the kingdom of heaven will permeate the world. Now, as sincere as that writer was in contributing that, (laughs) it's just not true. Expositional constancy. Yeast, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new unleavened batch. You know what the context of that is? Sexual immorality in the church. Get rid of that yeast. Yeast. 
While Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. But what does this mean for you today? Well, in this series, Pastor Danny looks to scripture to help you further understand what God has in mind for his kingdom. How does it affect you in this moment? What does it mean for you in the future? As you continue to listen to this series, we hope you gain a greater understanding of God's intent for your part in his kingdom. We're thankful that you've chosen to tune in today to The Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. Feel free to download or share these teachings with others. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You might be interested in looking back at some previous services that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click the link in the menu. Thanks so much for tuning in today to hear from Pastor Danny right here on The Living Word.